0: Great to be here. You guys are a wonderful sight for sore eyes. It's good to see a group of folks like this. I don't know if my mic is glitching already, but uh, good to see a great group of folks like this who are primed and ready to serve the Lord in whatever capacity he has for them, for you, and so it's just great. It's a real opportunity for me, a privilege and an honor. Thank you, Dr. Marriott, Dr. Love, for the privilege you have given me, extending this invitation, and I am just thrilled to be here. It's great to be in the, the North Country Eye Pastor Church south of Atlanta, about 30 miles south of Atlanta, called Bible Baptist Church, and it's good to be up here before the snow flies for sure. And, um, but I, I'm impressed by those that we have had come to our church from Maranatha. We, uh, years ago, about nine years ago in fact, we had uh, a, a young man by the name of Sam Prusak and his wife Christy came, and now we've had four or five couples come in nine years, and I am just thrilled Even though I didn't have the privilege of going to this institution, thrilled with what God is doing here. The quality and the caliber of these guys, fantastic. Uh Uh-oh. Should I just go off of this one? All right, we'll do that. Uh, They have been just tremendous. And so I was was just thrilled to come on campus just to look around and see what God is doing here. Uh, Grace Starr is one of ours from our church. She has a recital this week, I understand. And we're so proud of what God is doing in her life. And then I just wanted to say again how thankful I am for the privilege of taking this time in the Word during Missions Week. I'm a board member of Baptist World. It's just great to be here. We do have, uh, pray for us, we have some hard winters down there in Georgia. I think that's why some of those folks fled our way years ago, uh, but um, we do. We have some really tough, tough winters. I had to scrape the frost off my windshield with a credit card twice last <laughs> Winter and so it was tough. Bibles, please. First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. I wanted to ask as you're turning. I enjoyed just a short little trip around campus and and getting in the dining common. What beautiful facilities God's given you. And uh, and I just wanted to say as I went through that line and ate that wonderful campus college campus food. Hmm. Uh, Amen. And I put my little tray on that that little conveyor belt. I had the memories flooding back in my heart of my own college days. I went to college a little farther south. But my job was to work in the pot and pan room. And I just wanted to take a moment. I know we're time compressed. But if you're a student and you work in the dish room, some of you don't know what happens to your trays after you put them. You think they just go on that conveyor, hit a big dumpster, or go off a cliff. You never see those humble servants back there, do you? But there are people back there that have real souls. And you only see this much of them, right? That was me. And so I just thought anytime time I get to preach in a chapel in a college setting, I want those of you who are students that work back in that little dungeon to stand. Any of you? There's one, two, be brave, be bold. Let's give them a hand. I ask you, after all those announcements, what has a soccer player ever done for you? These guys. These guys are the real heroes. And I just gave away their rewards in heaven, didn't I? 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18 for the preaching of the cross to them that perish is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? What a great question that is in a college setting. I asked one of your freshmen, Why is it that Maranatha is such a deep pool of wisdom? And the answer I got from this freshman is that it is because we as freshmen bring so much wisdom in and the seniors take so very little out. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? Hath not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Get this, please. It pleased God and his wisdom by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, a miracle, a wonder, and the Greeks seeked after human wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Father, we do pray that you would give us wisdom to accept the foolishness of God over the wisdom of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are indeed in a portion of scripture that takes a little bit for us to understand, and the question there is where is the wise? A great question for us to consider. Uh, and I want us to understand this letter a little bit. Paul writes this letter to a church that he has left for five years. He started it when he came in. uh, He started with Aquila and Priscilla. He came in uh, limping into town, and they uh, really, in the sordid soil of Corinth, were able, by the grace of God, to see folks come to Christ. And Paul, it's been five years since he's been there, and in this absence, in the interim, has understood by a a really, a, a team that came from Chloe's household that the problems in Corinth were large. This is a corrective letter. The people in Corinth were really immature. In fact, four times in chapters four and five, uh, Paul calls them, and this is not a compliment, puffed up. But ye are puffed up. <laughs> you're proud. And because of your pride, you're divisive, you're litigious, you're immoral. And you're beginning to swallow in this idea that you've got to be like the world to win them. And that's why Paul comes out of the gate as a parent. And he uses sarcasm. If you would, please take your Bible and just go a couple chapters down the road to chapter 4. Beginning in verse 8, he is speaking, and this is really what we call biblical or legitimate sarcasm. And he's talking to his His beloved children in Christ that are really going off the rails because they have left the simplicity of the cross. And they're enamored with the wisdom and philosophy of Corinth. He says, now you're full, tongue-in-cheek here, and you're rich. You've reigned as kings without us. I would to God that you did reign, that we might also enjoy it with you, reign with you. For I think that God... I." Think that God hath set us forth as apostles last. As we were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle to the world, and to angels and to men. He's placing himself at the end of the parade. The victor's parade were, at the end were the prisoners that were to be executed. They were really on display. And that's what Paul is saying. That's us, the apostles and missionaries. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you, <laughs> can you hear the tone in his voice? You are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we despise. Even at this present hour, we are hungry, we thirst, we're naked, buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. And all God's missionaries could say, Amen. Where's your home address? I live in a borrowed minivan. We have no dwelling place. And labor, verse twelve, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer for it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world. I'm new to Baptist World Board, and I'm uh, I'm going to propose a name change right out of the gate. Instead of Baptist World Mission, why don't we call ourselves the Scum of the Earth Mission Board? That's what Paul is saying. I don't think the T-shirt doesn't have a better doesn't have a good ring to it. But Paul is saying that about the apostles and the missionaries. He says, we are as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, don't think like the world thinks. They were being drawn in by that, and they were embracing, really, a message that was about popularity. Remember chapter 1? It was all about Popularity. I'm of Paul. I'm of Paulus. I'm of Cephas. And there were some Jews that actually saw Christ minister in their lifetime in Jerusalem and, and thereabouts. And they were, because they went to a seminar where Christ preached, they were of Christ. And Paul said it's not about popularity. It's, it's not about a refined messaging. It's not about being uh, really Uh, In the eyes of the world, it's not about being attractive. And so he goes back to verse 18 of chapter 1, and he says this, The preaching of the cross, in many regards, is considered, especially by them that are perishing, foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. It isn't very culturally sensitive to talk about a bloody cross and guilty sinners but Paul says it is the only message in town that saves he didn't fly into Corinth on a jet plane a private jet he limped in scarred up and he started sewing tents in the marketplace with Aquila and Priscilla and after 18 months of ministry he left and there was a church that grew up from that really that ugly soil of humanity And God brings a new church to life by the gospel from the most sordid soil you could ever think of. Drunkards. There's a list in First Corinthians six, verse nine and ten. It is shocking. There's a list there, a catalog, drunkards and fornicators, idolaters, effeminate thieves, homosexuals, no doubt formerly employed at the local temples, and a host of other deviants are listed for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 but they were getting saved and changed and transformed by the gospel no other power like that and praise God for the truth of chapter 6 verse 11 and such were some of you such were past tense but you've been washed you've been justified you've been sanctified set apart for God's holy calling I love that verse, such were some of you. But here it's been five years he's left the church and again the immature uh, were taking over in the church in a sense and Paul gets a, a word from his friends at Chloe's household that things are not going well at Corinth and so he writes this letter to combat worldly wisdom. Paul, like any great preacher, is concerned about those who are not as mature as they should be. And so Paul writes this letter to kind of combat the, the, the idea that what we need, said the leaders at Corinth, the church there, is we need flashy leaders and we need human wisdom that helps us build on our own ladders to heaven, ladders to God. So let's just hold on quickly to two thoughts this morning, if you're a note taker. One, to be faithful missionaries or Christians, we must understand the abject futility of human wisdom and die to it. It's a long point, isn't it? Sorry about that. To be faithful missionaries, we must understand the abject futility of human wisdom and die to it. Secondly, we must embrace the absolute power of the foolishness of the cross and live by it. The gospel narrow is that Christ, you often compress that into ten words or less, Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave. But the, but the gospel-wide has implications for every area of our life and students what is the wisdom of the world what does it mean when paul says god has chosen the foolish is he saying we should be ignorant reductionist when it comes no paul understood the bible perhaps more than anyone <laughs> and when he came preaching he preached the full counsel of god he was not a simple a simplistic preacher be focused on the cross as the only means for life change. Can I just say this something, students? Say this uh, to you. This may shock you a bit, but the greatest temptation you will face in life in ministry will not be your battle with lust or greed or perhaps personal success, those, though those will be battles for you. It will be the insidious and continual pull to be endorsed, liked, loved, Affirmed, respected, considered cool, wise, and hip by the world, to think like the world thinks. The first call of a missionary, then, is to, to die to all the glittering glories of earth, the wisdom and her purring, seductive voice, to dumb down the gospel, to water it down, to make it somehow more attractive, less Bloody to the world. Eve whispered the serpent in the garden, chapter three, of, uh, chapter 3 of Genesis. Eve, how about that tree? How about that fruit? And what did Eve say when she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and able to make one wise, she took of it. Eve desired the tree that would make her wise, more godlike. But it was a tree really declared by God to make one dead. Eve, in the day that you eat of it, the Bible declares you shall surely die. Never negotiate away the simplicity of God's commands. My son, a recent college graduate, now back home helping us at the church, he gave me an article the other day. He said, as you're preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, this might be a wonderful illustration of the truth about the wisdom of the world. And he gave me a, a blog, and I printed parts of it. And I wanted to just read it to you because you are living in the day and age in which that temptation is so alluring to you. Ben Sixsmith writes this blog last year. Let me just quote some of it or read some of it for you. He says, when I was, this is by the way, a man that is unsaved young man. It's his observation of the Hillsong Church movement. When he says, I was a young attendee of charismatic megachurch, people were very keen to make themselves look cool. There was Christian rock, Christian rap, there was something called the street Bible which reframed biblical stories through a modern lens. He said Hillsong at the time was a very cool church. They had enormous services, hit songs, pastors that looked like they walked right out of daytime television. Founded in Australia in the 1980s, Hillsong branched out across the globe, from U.S. to Russia, to Israel, on the back of a glossy marketing and guitar-driven worship celebration service. In the, in the 2000s, Hillsong achieved even more recognition through its close relationship with mainstream celebrities like Justin Bieber, Chris Pratt, and Kevin Durant. If cool people like Jesus, the thought was, then maybe it's okay to be a Christian. Well, a church, he said, again, unsaved guy, has to make itself known, but at what cost? Hillsong puts celebrities front and center, which is one churchgoer, remarked and told the New York Times, it just doesn't feel like something Jesus would do. Oh, really? Carl Lentz, pastor of Hillsong, a former pastor, turned himself into a brand. His Instagram was full of photos of his sharp suits, hipster glasses, rippling biceps, tattoos, and midlife crisis jackets. Even when he addressed social causes, he himself was involved in the classic manner of the modern influencer. The case of Hillsong, New York City, it seemed to present what he says, "I call the church," with just a twist of Christianity. the wisdom of the world. Church with just a, just a twist of Christianity. His conclusion is this: So if Christianity is a non-essential add-on, why become a Christian at all? Such is the end game of a Christless, crossless message. First Corinthians one seventeen. I can with wisdom of words, the world's wisdom, really dilute the message of Christ until it becomes made of none effect. He concludes this little article by saying this: listen carefully. I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel their relief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. End quote. Students, you're living in a time and uh, age of your life where you ought to ask good questions about church life, about programs, about methods, about the status quo. I hope you are thinking through church life. I love it when college students come to our church, come home from college with new ideas about outreach and about how to become more effective in ministry. I love that. It's challenging. But just know that the manual for church life. And the message that saves is still the word of God and the cross of Christ. Paul uses the term in verse 19, the wisdom of the wise. It isn't a compliment. By that he means this. Any philosophy of ministry that obscures the centrality of Christ and the effectiveness of a blood-stained cross and the atonement. Such wisdom Is antithetical, antithetical to God's call to embrace a life that is continually gospel-focused and not man-centered. Sin must be paid for, and it was paid for on what? An old, rugged cross. No other philosophy will do. Look at verse twenty-two. The Greeks require or seek after wisdom. The Jews require a sign. And Paul's counter to that is in verse twenty. Where then? has all this wisdom taken you? He asked that to this group of people that are becoming enamored with the wisdom of the world. He says, think about it. In 6,000 years of ideology, after centuries of Babylonian wizards, Egyptian priests, soothsayers, Greek philosophers, pagan worshipers, Roman gods and goddesses, Are you now any more moral than you ever were before? Maybe your life is a little more comfortable economically. We enjoy a lot of that in America, don't we? But after 6,000 years of going to the marketplaces and hearing the philosophy of all your great orators, your debaters, have you become one inch closer to God? Have you found a solution at all for the inner problem of your heart called sin? And the answer is no. Where is the wise? Sitting on a plane on my way to Israel for the first time, I sat beside a, a college kid who had just been doing some studies in America. He was a Jewish boy. And so we had a good talk about culture and customs in Israel, and he didn't know I was a preacher. But finally I asked him, so who is Christ? What? A, What does he mean in your history? Who is he? Was he your Messiah? Oh, no, he said. Who is he then? Well, he did die on a cross. He was a moral teacher. He didn't rise again from the dead, as far as I know, he said. Just another good teacher. So I smiled and looked at him and said, So what are you doing with your sin? Shocked him. He looked at me and said what the lady did in John 4. He, he said, I perceive you're a preacher. <laughs> what are you doing with sin? In your debates down at the town square in Corinth, what have they produced? The disputers of the world, what power has there been in these philosophies to change your wicked heart? Rome said, be strong, discipline yourself. Religion said, be holy, restrain yourself. Epicureanism said, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Education said, be smart, expand yourself. Materialism said, be satisfied, please yourself. Pride said, be popular, promote yourself. Asceticism said, be less, suppress yourself. Humanism said, be capable, believe in yourself. Philanthropy said, be generous, give of yourself. But when the Lord met his disciples to be, he said, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Take up his what? Cross the emblem of our identification with a bleeding Christ, a Christ on the cross who died for our sins. Deny yourself and follow me. Students, what hope do we have without Christ? What message do we proclaim except the old rugged cross what hope except the empty tomb what what song could be sweeter than the song that was sung on a hill far away it is finished you see you can't pay for your sin he did and when he sang the sweetest song that's ever been sung, we don't have to carry any of our merits to the cross. We come as broken sinners and we fall there and just accept the free gift that he said, that he offers to us. Come to that fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge into day and be made complete. Glory to his name. Proclaim the only truth that saves. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. Don't have to turn there. The Lord uses an emphatic phrase, an emphatic in the Greek. He says, You are the light, or in the salt of the earth, and the light of the earth. That means, students, look up here now. That means that you, every one of you, have access to the only light there is. There isn't a thousand candles that we take out into the darkness. No. It is the gospel message alone that saves, right? And that's, what, that's the emphasis. You're the light of the world. As this team goes to you, you're the light, the message through you. You're the conduit of the greatest message and the greatest light. Celsus, a second century philosopher, writes, and we'll wrap up here in just a minute, he writes this. He says, this is why it's so foolish to believe This message, two points, a missionary must understand the abject futility of the wisdom of the world and die to it. And a missionary finally must embrace the absolute power of the foolishness of the cross and live by it. Here's why he rejects the message that he calls foolish the cross. He says, if God is perfect, good, beautiful, happy, why would he descend to earth, leave a perfect place, become a man? Such a change would be to go from what is best to what is worst. And God would never accept such a change. If he was truly God, he didn't understand the need for atonement, the love of God. He didn't understand that. There was a need for the incarnation, suffering, and sacrifice of Christ. It made no sense to this wise Greek philosopher. To them, the body was evil, and God would never become weak. Such an exchange was unreasonable to die on a bloody cross. How foolish, he thought. Away with this preaching of a blood-filled religion, a cross-centered message, sin-obsessed, offensive, guilt-ridden message, a Christ-only message. Are you kidding me? They rejected it out of hand. Ah, but Paul embraced it. Look at verse 23. The Jews require a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It is the only power. So students, don't don't reject it, don't neglect it, don't embellish it, don't add to it, don't take it away, don't hide it under a bushel, don't accommodate to the world, don't dumb it down, spice it up, or be ashamed of it. Just come to the old rugged cross. It is the power of God unto salvation. Don't be ashamed of it. So to all of us, Christians and all of us who are missionaries, let's learn to embrace the old rugged cross. It alone has the power to save. I was listening via video uh, where my daughter goes to church in Virginia, as a a lady stood up, a young lady now married, but she stood up and with tears running down her face, she said, I was one like this in Corinth. I was saved out of the sex trade. And she said, right before she got baptized, again, with tears running down her cheeks, she said, I was so dirty inside. There was such a weight. And she looked at the church. She was new to the church. She says, I I do not deserve to be here. Among you, well-dressed, clean, living people. But when I, made, when I met Jesus, He made me clean. But now I am washed by the blood, life-giving blood of the Lamb. Now I have been cleansed, sanctified, made holy, set apart. And in the eyes of God, she said, I have been justified and made righteous by his gift, the exchange of his righteousness. He took the thing causing my death and my horrible life, and he's forgiven me, and he's given me a place in his family. He's accepted me in the beloved with tears coming down her eyes. She said there was nothing in the world that could remove the stain of sin in my heart except the grace of God. And that's why Paul says, don't be removed from the simplicity and the saving merits of the gospel. Here's what I have understood lately, and it's just a little bit of a concern to me. What I've understood as we've gone through with you and the world this pandemic, I've realized that the church is getting pretty good at, at, at uh, first and second COVID. And first and second, masks. And first and second, vaccines. If you take them, they'll kill you. If you don't, you'll die. And we have our churches split in the middle. And after the services, we're all somewhat experts now because we got the Internet. We're experts in medicine. All of us are. We ought to wear white coats to church. I don't know how you're going to die, but I know you are. I hope COVID doesn't get you. Many of us know people who COVID has had a played a part in their home going. But I want, to know, I want you to know something. Whether you take the shot or don't, if you don't go by the way of the cross, you have no hope for heaven. Right there in the courtyard of heaven, there is a sign. We must needs come home by the way of the cross. Amen? Raise your hand if you have been saved and you know it. Just raise your hand. This is a glorious sight. And that's, that's the only thing that can truly save us. No, the devil's so good at getting us to stop short of preaching the only message that can save. I want you to do me a favor, okay? I want you to just do me this great gift and honor. My church isn't nearly as big as this. And it would be such an honor for me to hear you as a great choir sing the old rugged cross as a going-away present. Just one stanza. So you better get it right. Would you stand with me? And uh, Could somebody get us started on the right note? Here we go. I knew somebody could do that. It starts out on a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross, the emblem. And I want you to know something. I don't know how long we have, but when we get to glory, I think we're going to sing this. So let's just warm up for heaven. And then here's what we want to do. Okay, I want to hear this a cappella. Whether you can sing or not, if you're a believer, just let it out. And folks, that's what binds us. That's where fellowship comes that we know Christ. We've been saved by the blood of the crucified one on a hill far away. So just drop out sometime when we get it, all right? (laughs) On a hill far away. to lift high the cross. Amen.